you know, probably words that we don't hear from the pulpit a lot. Um, like that's a big shock, you know, coming from me. But still, um, you know, there are certain things that uh, we have to discuss. That's where the scripture is. And so, but don't worry, I'm not going to get too blue or anything like that. It's not going to be that bad. But, you know, just be aware that uh, they're going to probably discuss some things that are more PG than, than not or whatever. And so just be aware of that. But let's pray and give this into God's hands. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're, we just want you to, to see you move here. We, we feel your presence here through this wonderful worship time, Father, and a time that we can just draw close to you. We pray that you'll move here tonight and touch and, and that you'll open up your word and teach us and you'll have your way with it, Lord, and you'll take us to that place that you desire and that we can ever be changed and closer to you because of what you do here tonight. And so, Father, we place this into your hands that you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let's look at um, Deuteronomy chapter um, 17. And uh, it's an interesting scripture because it talks about um, a king. And this is in the law. This is this is comes from the law that that you know God was going to be their king. They they weren't going to have a king. He was the one that was going to to, to you know handle the reins. He was the one that they were going to rely on. They didn't need a guy. You know they had the priesthood and everything, and all that stuff was put into place. They weren't going to need a king, some guy that was going to be you know manipulating things and stuff. But here, right here in the middle of the law, before all of everything even got started, when this stuff was put into place, he makes a provision for a king because he knew where they were going to go. He knew what they were going to do. So he set up a criteria for it. It's pretty smart. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in your life. And he knows where you're going to end up at. Sometimes he will even set up a thing and say, okay, if you're going to go down this path, and you will, because I know everything. And because of that, then this is what's going to happen. So this is what you need to do to stay close to me while you go through this time period. And so, you know, and we can see this a lot of times when we go back and look at it. We go, man, you know, I'm glad that it happened this way and these things fell into place. Otherwise, I could have been like, you know, totally, you know, spun or something. And he's like, he has your back and he's got you. He's taking care of business, even though it seems pretty crazy when you're in the midst of things. But in uh, Deuteronomy 17, looking at verse 14, he says, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, you shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you, who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart is turned away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write, for himself a copy of this law in a book from the ones before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, and that he may learn, excuse me, to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe 
all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in this kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Okay, a lot of stuff here, and you can imagine where we're going to wind up at if you've looked at Deuteronomy chapter 13, Second Samuel chapter 13. Already you know which scripture we're going to key on in this group, but I like verse 14 when he says, when you come into the land, and he says, and you say, and I will set a king over me, and that kind of stuff. This is all him. I mean, this is all me. This is all my choosing. This is all man. They all decide that they're going to do this. This isn't his choice. This is what's going to happen when they choose to do these certain things. They're saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I want a king. I want to do this. And so he goes, okay, if this is what you want, if this is what you decide you're going to do, then you're going to do it my way, okay? He goes, he's going to have to be a Jew. He's going to have to be, you know, from your own brethren. You're not going to get a foreigner. You know, you can't get anybody. It's interesting to see the, the candidates and stuff now, you know, the whole thing with President Obama and whether he was a natural citizen or not. And now they're all accusing each other of whether they're a citizen or not and, you know, and stuff. You know, I'm surprised that they haven't, you know, there's like, you know, everybody has to produce some kind of birth certificate or something, you know, and everything, you know. I, I'm surprised they haven't accused Trump of that yet or Hillary or somebody, you know. It's just crazy. Anyways, we are not even going there. And then he talks specifically about Egypt. And this is something that's cool because he's very specific about Egypt and he always has been. You're not going back. I brought you out of Egypt and you're not going back there. And so he's like going, so, no, 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 no. It's okay, God, it's cool. We're going to get some horses from there. He's like going, no, you're not going to go get horses from there. You're not even going back there. Don't even entertain the thought. Stay out of there. So you're not going back. But this is kind of a cool thing. Check this out. The new king was supposed to sit down and copy the law. He was supposed to write it down. He was supposed to go to the priest, get a copy of the law, sit down and write it out for himself so he would have a copy so that he could study it every day. And so he would be in it every day and know exactly what it was it said. He's got, he's got to know the law to the letter and he's got to understand it. And so... And then it was, and he was to observe all of the words of the law. This is very important, especially where we wind up at here. This is very important for this. And then he goes, and then he's not to lift himself above the people. He's not supposed to make himself up to be higher than everybody else. He's, you know, their king or whatever, but, and, and, uh, but he's not to make himself to be better than anybody else. And he wasn't supposed to turn left or to the right from the law. You know, so he was not supposed to be a Democrat or a Republican. He was supposed to stay a moderate. No, no, he's supposed to stay, you know, in the law and know exactly what it was that the law said. And that his days would be prolonged for him and his children. So it was also a thing for his family, too, as to how this was all to pan out. 
Verse 17 is the one that uh, we're going to be interested in here. And it says, Neither shall he multiply wise for himself, lest his heart is turned away. And then it says, He shall not greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. Which um, King David did um, pick up a lot of um, gold and, and that kind of stuff for the temple. And so we see him gathering up and getting ready so that they can build the temple. But this was... Um, uh, but he's not supposed to greatly multiply it just for himself. But, um, you know, um, but he's not supposed to multiply wives for himself. Now, it seems that uh, King Saul had one wife, uh, from what I can gather. I tried to figure out uh, just exactly how many wives these guys had. It was pretty easy with Saul. He had one wife. And it says, and, and he also had Samuel's influence, who was a priest and who, you know, was, you know, his, his influence and he was a judge and everything. So he knew the law well. And so his influence is on Saul in this. And so he had one wife. And so he also had a concubine, which is, um, you know, uh, you know, it says here that he's not supposed to multiply wives. And so. He only had one wife, but he also had a concubine, so it's kind of like, it, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm following the law the way it's supposed to be, but I also got this woman on the side. It's cool, you know, but, you know, I, anyways, he had eight kids, you know, in the combination there of that. Now, it took me a while to even try to figure out exactly where, um, uh, what King David's kind of his family line is. The Schofield Bible does give you a family tree there so you can kind of gain an understanding there's eight women that's mentioned there by name uh, four of them that i know of he married according to scripture uh, sometimes it seems that they're called his wives and then there's also concubines and stuff i'm not exactly sure how many um uh, wives and, and concubines and stuff he had it's hard to tell because um, he just, they, they kind of gloss over the concubine part and stuff. He had like 19 kids, I think. Um, and I, I don't know if I included Tamar in that or not, but it looks like the list included that they give um, talks um, about the boys, but not necessarily the girls. Tamar is the one girl that they talk about, and so it's hard to figure out exactly um, how many wives and, and children he had, but he had eight, uh, there's eight named women, and then there's 19 children, but there's probably more because I don't know how many girls would be in that. And then there could be some other boys and stuff on the fringes too, so it's hard to say about him. And so if we go back to Second uh, Samuel here, and we will um, look at verse, uh, chapter 12 real quick, and we'll look at um, one... Um, one scripture there, 10 and 11, where it says, where God is very specific, and this is when he's talking to him about what's going to go down with um, what he's done. Um, uh, and, and he says in verse 10 of 12, 2 Samuel 12, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Now, um, 
<clears throat> when I talked when we talked about this last week, um, and I had mentioned that in Second Samuel 16, this actually happens, and this was from advice that he had gotten from Ahithophel, who was Bathsheba's grandfather. But I I said some things in error in there, in that um, Ahithophel said that he would ask for two thousand guys to go and get. Uh, and nail King David, and that's not true. He asked for 12,000. He asked that he could pick them out, and then he also said that he wouldn't touch any of the other people, but he would only kill David, and that's it. And so, but uh, then I said that he had gotten advice from his buds and stuff, and that uh, they gave him some advice not to do that and and that sort of thing uh, uh, as far as the pursuit goes. And uh, that's not exactly true. The advice he got was a guy that was David's friend and was actually like a spy. And he was there, you know, to give bad advice to um, Absalom so that uh, he would kind of, he would mess up and it would thwart the uh, advice that Ahithophel had given. He did take the advice to sleep with the concubines that he had or to have relations with them in front of everybody else. This... Um, incident does it is kind of this is where the problem with how many women he actually was involved with because I guess there were 10 women he left at the palace and they were his concubines and he took them and placed them away after he came back King David did and s- isolated them and took care of them those 10 and uh, I and I know that he took some with him when he left, so there's a real speculation as to how many and who it was and all that stuff. It doesn't make that much difference, but once you get into starting to try to figure this stuff out, you go crazy because it's so hard to figure out just exactly where all this stuff goes. So anyways, um, <clears throat> that uh, this sort of, this, this whole thing with, you know, with... Uh, um, where this all ended up at and, and where we're going to start at. Uh, we have to kind of, you know, gain a foothold here as to exactly what God's intention was. When he told the king he was to only have one wife, that was his intention. God's intention is for us to have, you know, one wife or one husband, and that is it. There's not supposed to be more than that. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh we had a youth pastor here for a while and he did a teaching one time on purity and did a purity seminar and what he did was when he talked about this scripture here he took two pieces of paper and he glued them together and so then he talked about this being a marriage but then when it became you know to where it was there was going to be a separation or there was going to be a divorce or whatever he grabbed the two pieces and he tried to tear them apart they did not come apart um, as one as two pieces of paper they shredded and that's what happens to a marriage that's what happens to people and and you may very well know this and understand this and and have experienced this that divorce shreds people and it and it and it's harmful and it's hurtful, and, and it's bad for both people, and people are shredded because of this. And God's intention is never this. He's very frank about divorce, and he says, I hate it. 
Yeah, he, he, in, in all aspects about it, he hates it. He gives some relief in, in a sense, you know, to where, you know, if there's infidelity or something, but it's not his intentions for people to split up. And so for David to have multiple wives and all this, and then his son wound up with, what, 2,000 or some kind of thing, and a lot of that's political moves and all that kind of stuff, and we understand that, but still... They're the ones that took him down and took him into places in idol worship and stuff that he didn't belong. And that was very specific in Deuteronomy. And so um, God's whole thought process is that he hates divorce. Keep that in mind as you, you know, are involved with your spouse. And if you guys fight frequently or whatever, or there's issues that come up, and, you know, we always say, as Christians, divorce never comes up. That word never comes up. And this is why. And so we, God's God hates it. And if God is the Lord of our lives, we don't want to even get into that place. And so, <clears throat> but the divorce rate is high. It's still about 50%. Um, now, I, I found a, there's a, a woman that wrote a book. Her name is Shanti Feldhan, and she wrote a book called The Good News About Marriage, Debunking Discouraging Myths About Marriage and Divorce, and she says that uh, we've never really even hit that 50% mark, that uh, we're not even close, and that marriages are basically good, and that people are doing okay, and, and things, and, and the actual marriages are, uh, people staying together are on the rise, and, and it's not a near, nearly as bleak as what they say it is. And uh, being, you know, uh, the kind of, you know, upbeat, encouraging person that I can be, I'm like going, yeah, really? You think so? I don't know about that, you know. Um, and, and it's because of experience. Um, Lori has three sisters. I have three brothers. I have two brothers. She has three, two sisters. And so there's, you know, three kids on each side. And uh, there's multiple marriages on both sides. Um, and, uh, and, and then there's, you know, kids and things like that. But our families are basically small, but there's divorce all intertwined in that. And then we got to talking about as far as Christians go and that sort of thing. And then looking at our are, we've been involved with this church for about 25 years. And so, you know, we were young once and, and we had little kids and we ran with a group and everything, you know, and stuff. I didn't always look like this, you know. And so, you know, I, I would actually had dark hair, you know, and stuff. And so, um, but anyways, um, we got to counting up and probably about a dozen of the people that we used to run with you know, in our group, you know, and stuff had gotten divorced and uh, marriages broke up. And that's within this church, you know, within our little scope of friends, within our, you know, little group here. And so you take that and you expound on that and you look at the stats and that kind of stuff. Um, it's not encouraging, you know, in that way. And, and so we hear about somebody and they break up and stuff and it's a shock to us still and we get upset about it, but it's something that happens and we have to understand that it's, it's a reality. But within our own little group, it is a prevalent thing that does happen and we just have to understand that. And so we can we try to look at stats and try to maybe be happy about certain things or whatever, but 
what we want to do is try to preserve our own um, our own marriages and and that sort of thing now um, this is what what we the scenario that we have going on here with David is probably the ultimate of blended families that you can get I mean he had existing wives all living together and stuff and and everything and 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 living together and then their kids were all interacting and that sort of thing but there are blended families there's the yours mine and ours kind of families that are going on right now it's a difficult thing to do it's difficult to that we we know Kids that live in one place one week and the next week they have another place where they live. They have two completely separate homes that they live in uh, and they change every week. Um, a completely different set of rules, completely different set of, you know, the whole, everything is different. Freedoms and everything is completely changed. Maybe in one household there's no Christ and then in the next household there is. And these are difficult things. These are very hard to, to mesh and to bring together and, and, and that sort of thing. And then there's, you know, um, where there's, there's people that are, are single and, and that sort of thing. But, but um, um, <clears throat> we just have to, to begin to understand that where we are in Christ and what our marriage looks like and where it is, we have to understand that our marriages are a model of our relationship with God. And that is first and foremost. A woman is to love and respect her husband the way she does the Lord. And a man is to love his wife the way Christ loves the church and gave his life for her. And he set it up that way. He invented marriage. And he did it on purpose because he he wanted to make sure that we lived the relationship between the husband and wife as we would live as Christ lives with us. in our relationship with Him is the same as in our marriage. And it's a thing that we go through every day. And if I have a problem with my wife or there's a situation going on, Jesus would not treat the church the way I would her. And then in the flip side of that, is it however, do you give more respect to Christ than you do your husband? Because you can't. It's wrong. You're supposed to love your husband the way you love the Lord. That's what it says. And that would be with the respect that you give him in submission. You know, and you can come up, yeah, but, and I can, and you know, it's just like, you know, come and talk to me. You know, I, I understand that. But I'm just giving you an, under, an idea here and an understanding that this is how God set marriage up. And it was his intention for it to be this way. He hates divorce. He doesn't like it. And he wants us to mesh and to grow and to know him in that way. And so he doesn't, he doesn't like it when things get all broken down and messed up and, and that sort of thing. So whatever your marriage or your relationship you are currently in, if you have a blended family, if you're currently you know, single or you've been divorced and you're single or you been married before and now you're married to someone else and all that kind of of thing and whatever your marriage or your relationship is currently in base it on the word of god and be obedient to the word 
and make sure that if you do have one of those blended families, and there's many, many of them out there, and there's a lot of grandparents that are raising their grandkids, and, you know, there are great-grandparents that are raising their great-grandchildren. And this is the kind of thing you're seeing more and more and more of because parents are checking out. And so even in all of this, stay focused on Christ. That's where your strength is. We sang about that thing. You know, it's the thing that we talk about and and that's what we learn and, and that sort of thing. But it's not just a flippant statement or just something to throw out there. It's real. And make sure that you stay focused on Christ and you stay in the Word and you stay in prayer because that's where your strength is going to come from. And that's where the reality is. The reality is not in the world. And that's where we're going to look at now and that's where we're going to go at. Because as we look at um, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, uh, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said, Lie down on your bed, pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come to me. Uh, Come give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. There Amnon lay down, pretended to be ill, and the king came to see him. Amnon said to to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. And she took flour, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan, placed them out up before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have, you, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made, brought them to Amnon and her brother in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where, and, and I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would look like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Therefore, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise and be gone. For she said to him, No, indeed, the evil of sending me away is worse than the other you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away with, from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore a robe of many colors that was on her head, laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. 
And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. And when King David heard of these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. So let's do a little breakdown here. Two of his sons, Amnon and Absalom. I believe Amnon was probably older, and so he uh, would have been the one that probably would have been in line for the throne um, if and when David was going to pass on. Um, Absalom had a beautiful sister, and um, Amnon was in love with her, or he was in lust with her, which is more, I think, of the description of it. The word distressed mirror there in verse uh, 2 says that he was frustrated in his desire. In verse 2, he said that, um, uh, in verse 1, it says that he loved her, but in verse 2, it says that he was sick over her because she was a virgin and it was improper for him to do anything to her. So I think that his infatuation was purely physical and he really had a thing for her and his desire was for her. And so that seemed to be the whole juxta of you know, his thing. I believe he, he really just lusted after her. And so because he really couldn't do anything. So he has this cousin, Jonadab, um, and it says that he's a crafty man. And so he helps him concoct a plan you know, as to how to, uh, you know, get in and, and get her into the house. And so, you know, he says, look, fake an illness. And, and they're going to, they know that King David's going to come and find out what's up with his son. He's going to do that. He's going to come over and find out. And so um, the deceit here is glaring, especially in the fact that they involve King David in it. They actually get him involved to come out and to... Uh, to be a part of this whole scheme that they got going on here. And um, so uh, he asks for Tamar to come and to cook for him. And uh, David okays it, so she comes out. And uh, she, and then so he sends everybody away, and he attacks her. Her response is, is pretty amazing. She is probably, they figure, about 15 years old. And he's in his 20s, probably. And so, um, first thing she calls him is my brother. She says that straight up. She says, my brother, you know, this sort of thing can't be done in Israel. And it's very clear in Leviticus 18 that a man is not to uncover his uh, sister, his stepsister's nakedness. It's very frank. In fact, there's a whole list of those kinds of things. And if you do wind up sleeping with your sister or your mother-in-law or some other kind of weirdness that you might get involved in, um, they just throw you out of camp. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, you know, seriously, get out of here. You know, we're not going to put up with you. You're out. So they just throw them out. You know, they're not going to put up with that. And so... um, but um, <clears throat> so then um, she she tells him she makes sure that he understands that he's the brother. And then um, she says that, uh, you know, where am I going to go in my shame? And uh, and and then she she kind of 
you know, at, at, when something like this happens and in this culture, we have to kind of understand kind of the way the culture is. And with her being, you know, put in this position and then to be, you know, uh, marred in this way, it would be she wouldn't marry. She would just stay, you know, with a relative or whatever. And there would be no children. There would be no husband. There would be no life like that. And so if this indeed does happen to her, he's destroying her life. And then as for a young girl like this, it, it, it's just devastating. Um, but then she says, you know, um, you would be called one of the biggest fools in Israel if he was in line for the throne, as he probably should be, then everyone's going to be going, you know, come on. You know, of course, it could be like father, like son, too. So because David, we had just seen, had, you know, his 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 problems too and so she's like going you're just going to be one of the biggest fools in israel and then she says she's trying to bide time so she says ask the king and he will let me let you marry me and uh which probably would not have happened um if you came to the king if he came to the king and says hey look you know i really love tamar i want to marry her and he's like going you're a freak that's your sister you can't marry your sister so go home, stay there, and you go to your house, and their brother would take care of her, and everything would be cool if this happened. But of course, he doesn't buy that either, and then he attacks her and commits this horrible act with her. Um, uh, you know, um, being a father and having two daughters of my own, um, you know, that were you know, raised in, in our home, um, this is one of those things that's unconscionable and it makes makes anger rise just thinking about something like this. Um, when something like this happens, um, you have to understand too that that um, uh, when it comes to um, virginity and, and a young woman giving herself away and whatever that is, that... Um, she get, you know she gives her she saves herself for the for the marriage bed she saves herself for her husband if a man comes in and takes that away he does not take away her virginity okay because she did not give it a young woman's virginity is saved for her husband and it would be given to her husband whether the hymen was intact or or not you understand that right you see where I'm going with that. Because when she gives her ver herself to her husband for the first time in love, that would be her virginity, okay? Now, in this culture, that's not the way they think, you know? Now, what I'm saying is, and that doesn't mean you, you can sleep around all over the place and then you, when you go, you're a virgin when you go no matter what. No, what I'm saying is, is that nobody can take your virginity away with a violent, horrible act like this. In, in my opinion. I don't think that that can happen. I think that there was a young woman that I heard about that was in the mission field. She was in Africa and she was raped. And so she came back home and uh, she, was, she was very upset because of the fact that she had lost her virginity to this horrible person who took her in a violent act and I don't believe she did lose her virginity. I think that when she decides to get married and give herself to her husband in, that she loves in that manner then that would be her virginity that she's giving up. Now, I don't think that you can take that but 
and also when we're in a position to where we're not saved and we have multiple relationships or whatever, I think that when we finally get saved and we maybe get married and, and that sort of thing, then in Christ that would be that can be viewed as a new start, a new beginning of virginity, and then that can progress from there. And so please understand that, that uh, no matter what, a young woman is always worth, you know, the weight, and she is precious and, and special, and something like this should never happen. This is a horrible, horrible thing. And so, um, you know, um, if indeed something like this happens, you know, then, you know, um, you are not to be cast out and, and put away, but to, to uh, you know, God will restore even in this sort of a manner. Now, he uh, afterwards hates her worse than he did that he, than he loved her. And uh, this is really sad because um, obviously she didn't reciprocate um, the kind of feelings he had for her. Maybe he was angry about that or maybe he just had his lust fulfilled and it was time to cast her off and move on and not, not care about that. And so, you know, he had her thrown out. And so then when it comes to, she says that she wore a robe of many colors that was common for the king's virgin daughters, which would indicate there was probably more girls than not. Or it was a tradition or something, but since he was the second king, there couldn't be much of a tradition set up with that. So I'm thinking that probably there were more girls. And if that's the case, then... Um, but anyway, she tears her robe, she puts ashes on her head, she goes home. And then she walks in the house and Absalom says, has Amnon been with you? Like, so this is no secret. This is no shock. This is, you know, she's crying. She's got ashes on her head. And he doesn't say, so what happened? You know, did the homeless guy snag you down on the corner or something? No. He knows exactly what happened. And then, and then he, he's, he tells her, well, just hold your peace, take it easy, relax. You know, he is your brother. So just, you know, don't take this thing to heart. How, how is that even possible? This guy destroyed her life. He wrecked it. He took it and, and cast her off as if she was trash. And uh, her brother, he is angry. And uh, so he, hides, he, he doesn't even go and confront the guy. He doesn't say nothing. Life as normal. And then the king finds out. The king's mad. He's angry. Ugh. Doesn't do anything either. Doesn't do anything. Nobody does anything. And they all just kind of drift away. And you can look at the scenario and you know Absalom should have never let her go. King David should have never had her over there. They knew it. They knew that this was going to happen. And when she came back, Absalom knew straight up what happened. She was not protected whatsoever by the men that's in her life. She was hung out to dry from the very beginning. And so, well, we will get there in a little bit, but... 
This is one of those things where we as fathers need to start stepping up and paying attention to what's going on with our own daughters. It doesn't matter how old they are or what's going on with them or whatever. We've got to pay attention. And oh, maybe she, your daughter, your, your stepdaughter really, and she's living over here sometimes and she's living over there and all that kind of stuff. Pay attention and find out what's going on with her and where she's at and give her protection. This young lady was hung out totally. And she didn't have the protection that she should have had. And we as fathers have got to step up and make sure. But man, you know, my, I don't know, man. I've kind of blown it. You know, my kids, they don't even listen to me and stuff. Quit your whining. Step it up and start paying attention to what the Word of God says. And start, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And start taking care of your family the way you're supposed to. Because this gets worse. It gets way worse. And what does David do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He continues on this path and his family is falling apart and being destroyed and they're completely self-destructing and he doesn't do a thing about it. He just walks away. Yeah, but man, you know, he had that whole trip going on with, you know, Bathsheba, you know, and and maybe Absalom will say, hey, who are you to talk, you know? I'm the king, so pay attention, and I'm also your dad. And I also know how screwed up it was that I did that stuff. I know how bad that was and how I wrecked people's lives. Okay, so I messed up too. You want to follow the same path that I did? He winds up dead, and Amnon does too. And so does Ishibosheth or whatever, and all these guys, they all start falling down as it all just kind of goes to this culmination. He's got to step up and take care of business, and he don't. He lets it go. And everybody here lets it go, and she most likely lived as a widow at his house for the rest of her life because she was marred. And so we can't allow something like this, even, even if this happens, we can't allow a young person to completely dis, you know, just disappear like she has. Because people are worth so much that Jesus died for them and we got to preserve and protect them even if some horrible thing happens like this. So then, <clears throat> don't take it to heart. You'll be okay. Hang in there. It's not that big a deal. In John chapter, first John chapter two, there's a little group of scripture I want to look at here. First John chapter two, looking at verse fifteen, he says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father." but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, excuse me, abides forever. Do not love this world or the things of this world. In Romans one twenty-five, it says, you know, that those that, that are of the world worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We don't want to get caught up in worshiping something 
We want to worship the Creator. We want our focus to be on Christ. Um, And then he says, For all of this is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's Amnon right there. Everything about this lust of the flesh, of the eyes, and his pride, it had everything to do with him. (coughs) And so he destroyed this young girl's life. But I have to come to an understanding of something like this here, and I have to figure out what is the creature that I worship. Because there's stuff in my life that I hold near and dear and that I lust for. And I have to examine is, is how does that affect other people? And how does it affect my life? And where does it put me? And where am I at in this? Is there some kind of lust that I've got out there that's hanging out there? And is it going to really satisfy what I want? Is it going to, you know, make it so that, that I get that, you know, that awesomeness that I crave so much for? No, it doesn't. Because if it's not of God, if it's of this world, it is hollow, it's nothing, and it's, and it's depleting, and it's destructive. And it can destroy someone else's life. It doesn't have to be something as horrific as this, but it can be something that that can wreck lives. Like we were talking about with blended families, there's enough of those that we begin to understand just how messed up lives can get as people try to to, uh, have a family within all of this destruction that's on around it and everything. In Christ it can happen and healing can take place and restoration can take place and good things can happen. But God's intention was never for that to happen in the first place. Man and woman and children, that's what He desires. And if there's anything of contemplation of divorce or or anything like that, get it fixed. You don't want to wind up in this kind of a scenario. There is no grass greener anywhere. It just gets worse. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not even going to get into the abuse and the different things like that because I'm not, you know, we're not going to go there. But we have to understand that just problems that can be worked out need to be worked out and taken care of so that healing can take place so the family unit can stay intact. And if you're a Christian, don't think you're uh, exempt from that and it's not going to happen to you preserve and work on your marriage and make sure it stays intact but it doesn't even have to be another spouse or you don't have to be scoping skirts or whatever that kind of thing is it's not that way it's not just that it can be jobs and money and 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 all kinds of other things there can be all kinds it can be a special car even you know it can be something like that if it's something that, that, that takes up your time and, and that sort of thing, it can be drug abuse. How many people have destroyed their lives through a bottle or for just, you know, some kind of stupid powder or some other kind of thing? Speed just destroys your body, it destroys your mind, it destroys your family, and it takes your life, everything, all the way across the board. And people will die for it. Because it it comes the most important thing there is. It's the pride of life. It's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And it's the most important thing there is. And it's completely 100% destructive. And we're even going, why would you do that? They just do. Because that's the lust of their heart. 
No, man, it's a physical addiction. Yeah, yeah, but you can overcome physical addiction. Heart addiction is a whole different story. And Christ is the one that brings the healing and the restoration to a heart addiction. And that's where it starts. And when your physical addiction gets in the way of of your relationship with God, you get rid of it. So, it's a time of reckoning. It's a time of, of cleansing. It's time to start, you know, getting things in order and lined up so that we have a, an understanding of the lusts that can take us away to places that we don't belong and we can't. And if you are even unsure of what that is, just ask God to just cleanse you and to move against these things that's in your life, that's in your heart. Verse 23 in Second Samuel 13, And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal, Hazar, near which which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, So he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon and kill him. Don't be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be uh, courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as um, uh, Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's son arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were on the way that news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. So the king arose, tore his garments and lay on the ground and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, uh, son of Shimei, old cousin Joe, comes back again. David's brother answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have all killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he forced his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord the king take these things to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. So, you know, don't worry. Everybody's okay. Only Amnon is dead. As if that isn't bad enough. <clears throat> so then, two full years. Amnon is still out partying and running around. Absalom is just like, oh, well, King David did nothing. Absolutely zilch. He didn't do anything about this stuff at all. So Absalom figures, I might as well take care of business myself. We're going to have a big old killer party, sheep shearer party. I don't know what they do if they all go out there and shear sheep or watch or roll around in the big pile of mung that they get off the sheep. I don't know what they do with all that stuff. It's weird, you know, but anyways, people will party over anything, right? You know, it's like, you know, let's just party. Come on, shear sheep and get drunk. And so that's what they did. And so he said, and everyone's sitting there, and he says, okay, on my signal, go kill him. No, man, all this, everybody will kill us. No, 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 it's cool. I've got it all covered. I'll just say, no, no, it was me. It's cool. No, I told him to do that. Oh, okay, that's cool. And so they just went and killed him. Yeah, 
So then David hears what happened. Horror of horrors. He hears that all of his kids are dead. What would you have done? If you got a message, all your kids are dead. They went to to Absalom's house. They went to Aunt Tilly's house. And they're all dead. What would you do? You gotta jump in the car and go down there. What do you think? I'd be jamming. Oh man, you better pray about it first. No, I think I can pray on the way. <laughs> you know, but I want to get down there and I want to see what's up. What does he do? King David? Mighty man of valor? Carried Goliath's sword. Rips his shirt and falls on the ground and cries. Really? And all of his servants? Well, I guess he did it, so we do too. You know, so they all ripped their shirt too. So they're all standing around with ripped shirts, crawling around, rolling around on the ground, crying. I think I'd be jamming, you know? I mean, he has like an army of mighty men. Get on the horses and jam. Get down there and find out what's up, what's going on. This is the place where we begin to understand why it didn't work. What he was doing did not work. He checked out completely. He walked away. He didn't pay attention. He was not the man that he was supposed to be of his family. He was supposed to be doing this stuff and he didn't take care of business. Now his kids are starting to die because he didn't handle this in the first place. That girl should have never been there in the first place. He never should have allowed it to happen. And then when it did happen, that kid should have been stoned. He should have been put to death for rape. That's what happens. That's what it should have been taken care of. He should have handled it. He didn't. He just let it go. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's rules for a bishop. Verse 4 says, One who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he care for the children of the church of God? How can you be king and not handle your own house? How can you run a country and not be able to handle your own house? He didn't. He didn't deal with it. And it spilled out into other places. He didn't like Joab and his brother. Joab and his brother, they were mean. They just killed people just to be doing. They didn't like the guy? Get rid of him, you know? So he says, hey, you know what? I don't like you being the commander of my army anymore. You're out of here, man. You know, I'm going to make this guy. He's going to be the commander of the army now. So Joab kills him. And then he comes back and goes, so where's so-and-so? Ah, he's dead. You know, is that job still open, you know, for commander of the whole army? Yeah, yeah. I guess you can. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Handle it, you know. You didn't get rid of Joab. You know who got rid of Joab? Solomon got rid of Joab. He mishandled things all the way across the board. And when it came to his kids, he was horrible. We are fathers We have families. We step up and we handle it. Does your wife handle the discipline in your family? Stop it. You are the man. You are the dad. You handle discipline. 
You do not allow your wife to handle the discipline. You take care of it. That's your job. You do it. If you are the one, you are the one that makes the decisions. You are the ones that, that handles things. Yeah, man, but it's tough, and I don't want nobody to be mad at me and stuff. Well, you know, get over it because they're going to be. Welcome to the real world. People don't like it when you get mad. That's life. That's the way it is, and you're going to have to deal with it because you're the man, and you're the man of your family. You're the leader of your family, and you handle business. That's your job. That's what you do. David did not do his job. So then, verse 34. Then Absalom fled, and the young men who was keeping watch lifted their eyes and looked, and there many people were coming down the road on the hillside behind them. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, and all your servants said, So it is. So it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's son indeed came jamming up on their mules and everything and stuff, and they were all crying and stuff. And then the king and all the servants all went out there, and they all wept and cried and everything and just had a big old killer cry right out there. And then Absalom fled and went to Talmi, the son of Amahud, the king of Geshur, which is his grandpa. He went to his mom's folks. And David mourned his, for his son every day. So Absalom fled, went to Geshur, and was there for three years. Three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. So he gained some comfort about Amnon. You know, got to feeling better about that. But Absalom was gone. He'd been gone for three years. Did he go up to see him? No. Did he take care of business? No. Did he clear the air? Did he fix things? Did he work it out? Did he get to the place to where all this stuff was going on? No. And you know why? You know what happens? You know where this all began? When he became king, what was the criteria? He was supposed to go to the priest and get the books of the law and copy them down for himself so he could read them every day and abide by them and follow those commands and not put himself above the people. That was, his, that was the rule he was supposed to follow and he didn't. And so he took the word of God and flushed it and didn't follow it. And now he pays the price. If you are not in the word of God and if you are not in prayer, then, you know, you can't lead your family effectively. That is the bottom line. We have got to get into a place where prayer and the word of God is the priority because if you don't have this, then you don't have the tools and the strength and the ability to deal with family issues as they come up. And believe me, and you know, they come fast and they come furious and they come in multiples. They never line up. It all comes in one big old crushing wave and all of a sudden you're drowning in all this stuff going on. It's like, how did that happen? And how did I wind up being, you know, the, the jerk of the end of all this stuff? Well, it could very well be that it's because you know the Word of God and you stand on what it says and you're, you're not going to move. And yeah, people don't like that, but that's too bad because you're a man of God and you stand up and you take the reins of your family and you control things according to the Word of God because you're the dad. 
And that's your job. And that's what you do. So then, aren't you glad you came tonight? This is a difficult scripture, and when I got into it, I worried because I was afraid that maybe I probably should have broken this up into probably three sections because I don't know if I covered any one of them effectively because it's very, very important, every single aspect of this. But dads be dads, and young ladies protect your virginity and understand that that is saved for the marriage bed. And don't let anybody take that by hook or by crook. And then, you know, if you are struggling or you, are, you have an existing blended family, stay in Christ, stay close to Him, and keep close there because that's where the, the strength lies, that's where your answers are, and that is where your restoration can take place and you'll be able to then function and move according to, you know, God's desires. Let's all stand and we'll pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, um, we just come before you completely humbled, Father. Lord, we, you are the greatest example of a father. And you love and you discipline and you, you give order and you strengthen and you command. But Lord, you love us so much and you give us such mercy over and over and over. Lord, teach us, strengthen us, help us to just always grow and, and, and know you and, and always draw close to you. Father, if there's marriages here that are struggling, Father, if there's blended families here where the kids are, are always being shifted around and, and there's difficulties there, if there's all of us, Father, struggling in, in being dads, strengthen us, Father. Restore us. Build us up. Help us to grow and to know you. And if anyone here has has experienced the horrors that, that this young woman did. We pray for your healing on them. We pray for healing of their mind and strength, Father. And uh, we pray that you will move in a mighty, miraculous way to bring healing and touch in that morning. Father, we honor you and glorify you. We love you, Lord. We thank you of all that you've given. And we just want to um, ever grow and know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. If you need prayer, there's people up here to pray with. So please come up and get some prayer. And God bless you guys. Mm -hmm.